Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkoff, and today I'm pleased to have an amazing guest, Justin Waldron, co-founder and president at Playco, also previously a co-founder of Zynga. Now, if you've forgotten what Playco is, Playco raised $100 million at a $1 billion valuation not so long ago for instant games across platforms with a round led by Sequoia and participations from pretty much every other top investor in in, um, in Silicon Valley. So I started this podcast thinking about instant games in a totally different way. I had a certain perception that was based on what has been done before with the HTML5, uh, the Facebook instant games, um, the messenger games. But now I, I, you know, after this podcast, I understand much better what Playco is doing. And I think it's very different and it's very exciting. Uh, I think you'll like this podcast since it's not about, you know, post-app store world or how do instant games can be done better, but it's more about emerging social platforms and how games can be a part of that. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I appreciate all feedback. So please keep on sending this through, you know, all the basic channels as, you know, the emails, the LinkedIn's. If you have a moment, do write a quick review. Um, and if you have a, you know, if you want to give a star, give a star, give up to five stars. We're happy to get those. Really helps with the algorithms and, and gets these uh, podcast episodes to a, to a larger circulation. Anyways, without further ado, a uh, shout out to our fantastic sponsors, Facebook Gaming, Iron Source, AppSlyer, and Beamable. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do, do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite powered by a reliable deep linking engine lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslier.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. I think what's 
what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zella, VP of Marketing at IronSource. Hey, Justin, and welcome to the podcast. So, uh, Justin, you're a co-founder and president of Playco, co-founder of Zynga. And for people who don't know Playco, and I think everybody knows Playco, but they kind of forgotten with the news cycle. But just recently, you raised 100 million at 1 billion valuation for instant games across platforms with a round led by Sequoia and a lot of top VCs as well. And... Just recently, you released your first game on TikTok. So, Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have a chat with you. All right. So, uh, let's start with really basic. What's the story behind Playco? Because you're targeting platforms such as like cloud streaming, Google Play, Instant, uh, iOS app clips, Facebook Instant Games, Snapchat minis, now TikTok. And the the sort of a spiel with the, uh, with the VentureBeat article was that the company will make games provide the backend infrastructure and analytics and distribute the games across a number of instant game platforms. So please tell me more about Playco than what I read on VentureBeat. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, well, it's it's great timing that that we have a new game coming out on on TikTok because actually I think this story uh, was was challenging to tell uh, last year. Actually, we we had some instant game platforms we could point toward and we have partnerships with with companies like Facebook and, like, and we've done a lot to build some games that have, that have grown very large on their platforms. But this trend of, of a lot of social platforms opening up and to partner with them to go build uh, a new type of game that's sort of appropriate for each of their audiences and the way that people use their product is something that was hard to tell last year. And so it's very nice to see this, this vision now coming to life. You know, a month ago, we released uh, the first games for Zoom. And uh, we were one of the only game companies involved with partnering with Zoom. And Basically, we're working very closely with every social platform to figure out how to bring games to their audience. We think that a lot of these platforms right now, people are spending all their time there, but they're lacking things to do. And so we think the opportunity is like, there's all these empty rooms and there's no toys in them and we just want to go and kind of bring the, the activities. And so that's what the company's focused on. So it seems sort of, if you if you just list out the platforms, it seems a bit complicated and scattered, but actually like, the one thing that unites all these platforms is that there are places that people spend all their time and we just want to add the fun. And why was it so challenging last year compared to now? It's a great question. There has been a lot of momentum on the idea of having more different types of marketplaces uh, for, for games and distribution. But the way that we see this is it's not really about just distribution. I know there are other companies that sort of look at it that way. We are thinking about experiences, actually. And so we think that when you think about how you play a game, it's, it's natural that you want to play with your friends. And actually, that's the default. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so obvious that it's actually, it, it seems too obvious to be a strategy, but it's very, very difficult to execute on. 
And so it, it's sort of like Amazon can tell everybody their strategy, but you can't copy yeah. it. Their strategy is to have the lowest prices and best selection. And um, that strategy hasn't changed in 25 years. And we we can have the same strategy with games and it'll take us decades to actually go and execute on it. There's always going to be room to improve. And technically there are challenges with removing the friction to go and build games that can load within these uh, platforms so that users don't have to do any work to be able to play a game with them. And on the, the business development side, there's a lot of collaboration that has to require or that's required with these companies where we go and work with them to build these platforms. In many cases, we're the first partner to build a game on the platform. And so that means sitting down with them and doing API design reviews and, and figuring out how we get what we need to build something we think might be successful and getting on the same page philosophically about what would be fun uh, in, in a new Facebook uh, canvas, what would be fun on, on Zoom, what would be fun on TikTok. The answers to the questions are different and every platform wants to make sure whatever content we're building is, is something their users are going to love. So we've got to spend time to make sure we get it right with each one. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point because what we've seen also in the news is companies like like even Peloton was working on gamifying or adding games on their platform. So you're looking into tap into almost an audience that is not looking for a game, but has an opportunity to, to play a game. And is, is that the way, is that the thinking? Am I kind of towards the right direction? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's totally right. And I, I think like the success of mobile games has been on performance marketing, right? It, it's It's been finding the right person for the right game and getting better at building for that audience specifically. And there's been a lot of progress made over the last decade on mobile to, to go and get better at that. And I think one thing that's been lost is this idea of discovery that's sort of a bit more serendipitous, where it's, it's how, do we, how do we get people discovering things that are centered on the group they're with in the context, rather than sort of reaching out to users for something that they're looking to play potentially by themselves or their, their own interests. And so, you know, the, the, the reason I would say like it's, it's difficult and most companies haven't focused on it is because the business model is very different. It's not just a distribution channel, actually, like market your games in these channels. There might be some simple things you can do, but I think to get the full value of it, you actually have to design a game from the ground up to mm -hmm. be played within. That's fascinating. So can you talk a little bit about the, uh, the business model? Is it more ads driven or is it, um, is it like work for hire that the zoom will pay you for making that game? What is the business model? Because we're talking about instant games and we know from instant games that the, uh, typically the retention is very low. It has been since HTML five games. Yes, they are very social, but also. Yeah, and they grow really fast, but yeah, the retention has always been the issue. Like the retention has been always super low. And because of that, there's not really enough purchases that you can do. And it's basically ad monetization or other. And what's your business model here? Yeah, I mean, retention, retention is a struggle for every game developer, right? Or maybe, yeah. maybe every app developer in the world. I, I feel like it's, it's what everybody lives and dies by these days. So for us, like, I think it just depends on how you, you think about the funnel. If you imagine like how you discover a game right now, if you're discovering it through advertising, there are a lot of people who are seeing ad impressions of your game on an ad network before someone taps. And so if you look at that as the top of the funnel, you can imagine we have a lot of people who may be sharing this game to play with their friends who may or may not get in and play. And what we do know is that people are much more likely to give this game like a chance if they're someone they care about is playing it right now. And so the, the top of the funnel is actually much broader. It is true that we have to then figure out a way to keep them. And I think like that requires sort of a new thinking around design around like, well, what made them there go there in the first place? It's, it's, they wanted to play with their friends. And so we have to keep that going. 
And uh, I think in, in different places, in different platforms, that's going to mean something different. And so like really what our company is about is experimenting, figuring that out, taking all the knowledge we have about the games we've worked on and, and figuring out how to build the right, the right new type of game for the, the right new platform. So one of the, one of the challenges of kind of like re-engaging with those games has been that the, the inconsistency of the platform. So they've moved around the entry points to the game. Uh, as well as the, the featuring has been moved around. And because of that, I, uh, I've noticed that the, uh, the players had hard time defining the game that they were playing, whether it was a game on iMessages or whether it was a game on, on Facebook Instant or name the platform. So how are you approaching this, this challenge of overwhelming power from the platforms to make changes that instantly can, can either make or break your game? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I think if you want to build on a really stable platform, you should probably build on, on the app stores. I, I mean, I think they, they change their, their APIs once a year. And then have a large developer conference. It's very predictable. It's, it's very stable. I think if, if you want to actually build something that, that's new, it's, it's nice to focus in a place where things are changing all the time because it's an opportunity. And so what we do is we have conversations with these platforms and the, the faster they're changing things, the more opportunities we have to be a part of what gets put out next. And so we spent a lot of time with them working, working on the roadmap and sharing our information and data and like trying to actually figure out how to make things successful. And, and that's what gets me excited. So it, it, for sure, like it's, it's just, it's a necessary part of, of the business of what we're doing. And I, I think over time, it'll get more stable as, as we really lock in, you know, what it is that people value on each of these platforms. But I will say that I think the answer is, is it, it, there are, have been some successful platforms we can follow and we've learned a lot in a lot of different places. So I actually think, you know, things are going to get more stable, much more quickly. So by, by successful platforms, you mean the platforms in Asia, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely for sure. Has yeah. With line, yeah. I believe line, as well as with, with WeChat, uh, they have some very strong instant game platforms. If, I mean, you know, better. This is, this is just kind of me like searching my memories. I think I've heard something about that, but of course I, I don't do, I don't yeah. use WeChat or Line anymore. Yeah. I mean, you think about WeChat, like this has been a huge thing in China for, for a long time now, actually. And so you have to ask yourself the question, like, why isn't it big everywhere mm -hmm. else? And it requires an enormous amount of execution. And there's a bit of a chicken and egg problem. You can't go build a platform when developers aren't interested in in building on such a platform and we can't go and build on these platforms unless they exist. And so we're just saying, look, this should exist. There is a huge, uh, customer base for this. It's, it is the most mass market form of gaming we think. And I think there's evidence to that in the past. So we're just trying to go and like basically figure out how to build it and, and know that like in the long run, it, it's something that everyone's going to be interested in. Can you, can you talk about some of the, uh, the successes, case, success cases in Asia, whether it's online or, or WhatsApp, like what type of games work there and, and do they work in the same way that you have like a couple of big games and people are playing those constantly or is it more like almost like a hyper casual market where you have you know the monthly or even weekly top games and they rotate so fast because they're so simple and then they quickly accumulate tens of millions of installs like like how does it how does it look like in in uh, in asia we're focused on on building games that look a lot like the successful app store games. These are games that, to use words we were um, using at other companies like Forever franchises or Evergreen franchises. We we want to make games that people can play for a long time. So it is true that there are some hyper casual titles that are you know having some success with this type of discovery. We're interested in building stuff that people play for the next ten years. And and so I had that experience with Zynga Poker. You know, once upon a time, 
uh, I built Zynga Poker. And it, when people first saw it, they thought it was a bit of a toy and people are still playing it. It's amazing mm-hmm. in me. And so, you know, we want to, we think that this is like an, actually an opportunity for us to go and build a new type of game that some of them can be very, very long lasting. And so that's, that's what we're in it for. We really want to like go and build a, a new sort of creative franchise, but hopefully do it in a way that is because we facilitated a new type of interaction between people, which is what I think differentiates this so much from previous incarnations of it, is it's kind of a miracle that we were able to build social games a decade ago on desktop. I mean, there was so much of the plumbing just wasn't, wasn't really there. And it's kind of crazy that we don't have it now. Actually, like all the social plumbing is there. And, yeah. and someone has to just go and execute on it. And so we get really excited about the idea of like, we're in a zoom if we're in a zoom call can you imagine all the different new and interesting experiences for a game we could create over video chat i mean when we start combining augmented reality and and all the other sort of audio and video inputs that we have and this idea of people spending time in this this room there's going to be a whole new wave of games that, that come out of this approach and so i think we're going to be surprised like we're not showing up and just saying here's the playbook you know, we're, we're done. I, I think like the farm game that we put out at Zynga, Farmville, just surprised everybody actually. And it surprised even us at Zynga, but we, we had all these experiments before it and these other games that succeeded that led us to sort of think that that, that could work. And so right now, the way I would describe it is like, we're going out or we're building hits that we're learning things from for, on each platform and building up our sort of set of lessons for, for what works where, and then building progressively bigger games. Fascinating. All right. So my perception was a little bit different because every time I think about instant games, I always think about uh, very small games and, uh, but, but you're approaching them as, as any free to play games, you know, decade old, decade, at least decade of entertainment. So what is your, what is your team structure then look like when, when I'm thinking about making a game for multiple platforms that are different and that are changing all the time, it, do you do the uh, development internally and do you have the teams do you have like multiple teams focusing on different platforms or is it one team that is working on multiple platforms? Like how do you approach the development? Yeah, that's a great question. So we can't use anything off the shelf, uh, like in unity or, or something. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So okay. we spent a lot of time investing in sort of basic core technology and, and the sort of analytics are super important. I mean, we need to be able to understand all the places people are coming from, the context they're using the game and how to improve it for each context. There's a lot of ways to end up landing on one of these games. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of situations you might be in. The game has to adapt to that properly. That's a big part of what makes what we're doing interesting. And then on the team side, we like to set up so that we can iterate quickly on these ideas because we're optimizing ourselves for learning and investing in this macro like more than any other company. So we've got about 130 people growing quickly and, and everybody is just focused on this. So with all these platforms, some parts are reusable. We, we go and we build this technology around rendering, uh, you know, 2D and 3D graphics in the browser on a mobile browser with old devices quickly. This isn't something that a lot of other companies have been focused on because there hasn't been a really great use case for that. And, and so we're going, we're building up that technology, which we can use on all of the platforms. And then in addition, we're building a lot of stuff, particular to each platform that solves some of the problems that are unique to them. And then those, of course, we can reuse internally with our game studios. So we, we were organized around game studios that, that go after and build games on these platforms, or we can partner externally with studios to do some publishing where we help other companies get onto these platforms and, and sort of skip all, a lot of this, this hard work associated with how different it is from building something on the app store. Got it. So you have both internal development as well as 
publishing, uh, sort of like a publishing arm. So in that sense, a similar structure that, that many of the hyper casual publishers where they have the core expertise in house and they use some of the internal development, but they also uh, welcome a lot of external developers and then do either revenue cuts or just acquire games from them if the games are uh, resonating with. Yeah, I, I can't speak to, I'm not sure how close it is to hyper casual developers because I never worked at one, but I, I, I yeah. do think that it's, it's, it's probably when we, when we're choosing a select few companies to work with. Yeah. So our goal is not a quantity of games here. It really is like if we could put out five super high quality games this year through external part partners, like we would be very excited about that because we're talking about the bar is actually to go make these sort of 10 year franchises on mobile. And that means that probably our, I'm guessing here, but like maybe our considerations are more similar to like a Scopely than, than a sort of a hyper casuals publisher. But yeah, and it, it also requires a very close partnership because we can't kind of look at a game and say, show me your numbers. And if we put marketing dollars into this, what will happen? We have, to, we have to look at a game and predict what it might do when we design it differently to fit inside of a place where it isn't currently designed, or we have to bet on a team and, and say like, are these people capable of building this thing that no one's ever built yet in a new place? Okay. And so I think our, I think our publishing program is, is a lot more like, do you want to come build a game with us? And do you have a team? And are you excited about this idea? Then like, we would love to find a way to, to work together on it. And it's, it's, it's more sort of, we're going to have to work together to figure out what the right, the right game is and, and how to build it rather than sort of just fund your marketing on a game you've already built. Yeah. So it is totally different. Interesting. And then you mentioned like multiple different studios and those studios are each focusing on specific platform or are they based on a platform or, or game type or, or genre or. Yeah. Some, some games, if they succeed, we might bring them to more platforms and mm -hmm. some games, if there's very interesting to play on multiple platforms mm -hmm. and we'll want them to be in multiple places. And so there are studios that are focused on a certain game. They're bringing to multiple places, but also part of our um, strategy is to bring these games to more contexts within the same mm -hmm. place. And so you can imagine some of these platforms, they don't just have a messaging channel. They also have an asynchronous, uh, like sort of newsfeed or discovery, uh, list like uh, TikTok, And maybe they also have a live video and it might be that these games start living in multiple channels in one place and each in where, depending on where the game loads up, it has to have like a different context aware sort of way of playing. Right. And so we're definitely going down a path where we we're trying to solve for not just which platforms we're on, but which context the game sort of is played in. Yeah. And if you're looking to build games that last for 10 years, then that one game has to be on multiple platforms. Just like you mentioned poker or well, poker has migrated from Facebook to to, um, you know, to mobile devices, I'm sure it's on, on browsers as well. And I'm sure it has gone through various type of different platforms and will be going through, through more platforms as it closed on, on two decades. What are the sort of, uh, like, okay, kind of two questions. Like, do you have any of, of, of your games kind of succeeding in their first steps on certain platforms? And what are the, what are the, the, the key challenges? Like, like, is it retaining, is it, uh, making the same game work on multiple platforms because, because users are probably using multiple different platforms and you want them to engage with the same game. Like what are some of the key challenges that you're facing other than that the, uh, the market and the platforms are changing constantly and you have to find out new ways. Uh, but, but what are some of the other practical challenges? It's a great, great question. So we. Huh. Challenges. I, I mean, I can speak to what's a little bit different from, from developing a game for the app store. And it, it's not just the technology, but it's also on the distribution side. I mean, I, I think 
when it comes to how a larger mobile game company can like rationally green light a project, there's a lot of data that you can go by at this point. And, and, you know, I think a lot of the best game studios in the world are incredibly data-driven and, and so are we actually, we're super data-driven, but well, I, I would say is that we don't have a lot of data on what types of games will work in these contexts. And so we really need to sort of look in, in multiple places and be inspired and have an opinion and, and try it out before, um, we, we can really know for sure. And we're lucky because we have a lot of people, um, at the company who, who've been doing this or similar things for a while. And so, you know, I had a stint in social games before this and, and my co-founder Take built, uh, Kaido Royale, which in Japan was like the number one social game a decade ago, back on flip phones. And, and Michael, uh, our CEO, he's mind building some very large open source web technologies and has been working on like improving HTML5 and browser standards for, for a long time. And so we have, we have a team that like, really, this isn't sort of like just the next, the next step of us jumping into, you know, whatever is filled with, with hype and games in the moment. This is something that we've all been thinking about for a very, very long time. And then we decided the timing was, was super interesting right now. And I think when we, we set out to do it, to get back to your question of what's challenging, we were expecting that there would be a few platforms rolling out this year. And what we've seen is that's actually happening a lot faster than we expected. And so for us, it feels like we're under-resourced, to be completely honest mm-hmm. with you. Our, our fundraise look uh, huge. And we have, like I said, about 130 people, but we definitely need a lot more. And the fun part is like we're, we're building stuff that requires smaller teams because things are changing fast. So we need to share yeah. things fast because we can't go build something that takes a year if the platform is, is, is moving from under us. We have to be more nimble than that. And so what I would say is like, just addressing all the opportunities that, that we've seen is, is the biggest challenge. And so we're just constantly looking for more ways to either get more people on board uh, with publishing, to get external great teams who are excited about this idea, but don't know much about it on board and help them get up to speed on it quickly. And also with hiring, because um, I think there are a lot of people who they, they want to make games that their friends can play and that their, their family can play. And we want to be a, a place where you can, you can come and do that. And I think we're starting to see it happen. So that's really exciting. Like I, I, uh, I don't know why, but I, I always get most excited. Like when I, when I realize, you know, my grandmother or somebody like that is, is playing uh, a game we made and, and I didn't tell her about it. So that's yeah, kind of yeah. like with the bar is first. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now, we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games. And I'm sure you got the people part covered, but how fantastic your your tools truly are. Well, listen, if your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks. With visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep you all to keep all your server code in C sharp means life is simpler for your programmers, and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to Beamable.com because Deconstructor of Fun told you so. So I, I, f- I feel like you're, you're leading the charge in terms of casual games and this sort of, um, I, I'm not sure if you're only making casual games, but, but you're uh, definitely leading the charge in this post app store world. And before that, I mean, not, not even before that, like we've seen 
we've seen actually during the uh, the couple of years now, and especially during the last year, a lot of a lot of articles being published about some of the biggest companies focusing on the post store world, whether it's uh, Microsoft, whether it's Facebook, you name it. So my question is kind of leaning towards the not the uh, the current world of the App Store world, especially with with Apple Apple being so protective of their platform. What's your take on what's your take on that? Like, does that uh, cause challenges to you or is it more like an enabler? Well, I, I, to be honest, I don't love the, the, the framing of a post app store world. I think it's, it's yeah. kind of out of date. Right. And I, and, and a lot of the stuff that's attached to these things like HTML five and post app store, it's, it's from a model where people thought of as like one side had to win. I think it's a false dichotomy. I don't think it's like mm-hmm. that at all. I think Apple and Google are going to be some of our biggest partners, um, because they have some of the most interesting social spaces in the world. I mean, FaceTime is an awesome platform. We love to build a content for it. So is iMessage. Google has Meet. I, I, I just think that like what we're interested in is, is not how that plays out. We're interested in the abundance that we're seeing with the social platforms. And so I, you know, I think for us, it's exciting that each of these platforms solves different problems for different people. And so what we see is like there's space for a lot of them to coexist. And that feels really interesting. And it's also a challenge for us to really understand, you know, these two companies, they may both have a messenger, but one of them, their users may love it for a very different reason than another. And their usage patterns might be different. And we have to actually really deeply understand these products to be able to go and build the right game in the right place. And so when I think about the sort of, I would call like the multi, the multiverse of where these games live, uh, that's, that's a big part of the, the challenge is just like, well, now if we want to make a game that can live everywhere, but be really fit in wherever it does, that's, that's like a whole new design challenge. So we're spending a lot of time on that. Yeah. I love that thinking because it's not like, it's not thinking either or, but it's, it's like both. So as, as their platforms grow, so, so is the, uh, the ability for your games to grow at the same time. Have you been following what's been happening with the, with the hyper casual games and, and the previously with the instant games, like what are some of the, um, some of the key learnings there. I'm asking it because I'm using hypercasual as an example, not in the sense of how their business model works, uh, but more of uh, because they are the most accessible games. And I feel like accessibility is the key selling argument with the games that you're making. They're accessible in all the different platforms. And through that, they can't be too complex. Like, I mean, I mean, poker is a complex game, but uh, if you know how to play poker, you know how to play poker, same things with chess and otherwise. So. Uh, I'm using instant games and hyper-casual games, just an example of, of highly accessible games. So what I'm trying to ask is, is like, what kind of a learnings have you taken uh, from both instant and hyper-casual games before? And how has that affected in the way you approach the market now? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'll be completely honest. Like I'm not an expert on hyper-casual, but, but I think they have solved an important problem, which is how you make a game that people understand how to play immediately. And this is something we were focused on a lot at Zynga because uh, a decade ago when it was on the social network, someone would land on a page and it might be my grandma and she had to understand how to play it right away. And everyone thinks, you know, new user experience is important, even no matter where they're building it. But there's a lot you can control for with how you market a game that to your point gets you somebody who might know something about what you're, you're, you're giving up. And so we don't get that guarantee. So, you know, you need to be able to just look at the thing and understand what it is and how to play it. That doesn't really limit the complexity you can get to. I think it is, uh, you know, is it Bushnell's law that something is a great game is easy to learn, but difficult to master. 
I, I think this is just the extreme version of that. I mean, we want to start with as, as easy to learn as possible, but it doesn't stop us from just giving people the pieces along the way to get them into a game that's actually got a lot of depth to it. And if we want to keep them for a while, I mean, that's, that's what we need to do. I think the one thing we can lean on into that uh, other game companies struggle with more is like on the community side, the retention, the long-term retention for being able to play these games with people you care about is very, very powerful. And a lot of companies have tapped into sort of the stranger community, which is, which is great for a certain type of player, but it's also kind of limiting. And so like, we think that there's going to be, you know, is if we have the ability to connect people that you care about in real life with you to play these games for the long term, like that's, that's going to create a very, very interesting long-term retention and new ways to play. Like one of the biggest disappointments for me is, and why I kind of dropped out as a, a mobile gamer more recently mm-hmm. is it's hard to have these experiences actually with people like my, my friends and family. And so we just, in some way are like just kind of building this for ourselves. Cause it doesn't seem like something that a lot of people are working on. So you mentioned it was harder to have the, the social experience. Did you, was that the, the point on, on these days? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard to have this experience on mobile because I don't think that developers are, are usually very focused on it. I, and I, I, I know I'm painting very broad strokes here, but I would say that if they did, it might be a problem. If we really care about when you spent a few dollars on acquiring a user is that you keep that user. And so, you know, in our world, we're, we're trying to figure out, okay, you're here. How do you go play with a friend? That's the best possible thing we can make happen. And that's not the number one goal of, of a game that, that just bought a user for a few dollars, right? And wasn't discovered through some social channel. And so that changes the whole, as you, as you know, like the game design changes completely based on the business model. Actually, these games are just these sort of machines that are optimized for, for the business model and the ecosystem that, that they live within. And, and so in some ways that the only way to grow a game is by having more efficient marketing or having better LTV. Well, then that's going to produce a certain type of game. And if our, if the way that we succeed is by matching you to play and have great experiences with your friends as much as possible, because that also means the games will grow more quickly. Well, then the games that we design are going to end up being uh, quite different, not just like the Fatui, but you know, the whole game that you play. And so that's why I do think like, you know, why, why was a farm game never popular before we release one at Zynga. I mean, I think if you put up a poster of a farm game in, in a sort of console game store, no one pointed at that poster and said, I want to play that game. But if you, if you created a space and these people were playing with their friends and they were inviting each other into it, they're like, huh, a farm game, that's weird. But my aunt is there and my brother is there. I might as well check it out. And then they get there and they're like, oh, this is kind of interesting. This is like a very different feeling, right? And so, whereas right now an ad has to pull you away from whatever you're doing. And that takes a certain level of interest versus the way that people are discovering games on social platforms where the, their friend is inviting them to play. It's really about the person first and the content second, right? And so you end up seeing like a, a just basically a different type of category that succeeds. And, and I think that we're going to be just like we were surprised by farm games being a huge thing. I think there's going to be multiple other new genres that emerge from this if, if we actually succeed. Yeah, I, I get your point. I mean, I've, I've played instant games exactly because of that reason, because they came in from a friend and you're playing them together with others. But I would definitely counter the broad aspect that the, the mobile games are not as social. I would say that mobile games are extremely data-driven. So just like the old Zynga games, it's really important to get the players into that flow of learning and enjoying your game and then get you in the flow of cooperation or competition, depending on the game. 
uh, through through very simple actions, whether it's withering the crops or helping somebody else to water, water their crops and so forth. And by by this sort of a, like a light visitation, you go into and then you start kind of looking at your progress versus the progress of the others, look at your farm compared to the farm of somebody else. And through that, that incentivizes more engagement and incentivizes more more uh, monetization. So I think that the, uh, the these sort of a deep games that we have on mobile right now, they have, they, I mean, they're optimized to retain players early on through a little bit of a more single player experience, but they do introduce social quite quickly. They They just don't approach it in a way that that, hey, your aunt is playing, play this game. It's more like, get going, get good at what you're doing, see what everybody else is, is doing, now start playing with others. And I feel like that approach is much more accessible to players. And that is why they are not incredibly so incredibly social off the bat, uh, but they get very social as you get comfortable with playing, as you get, and, and through that, you're more comfortable playing with others. So that's just just, just the way I see it. And, but you know, I might be wrong. No, I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of validity in what you're saying, but, but look, look, I, I, I do think it's all about incentives. That's what I'm saying. I don't think there's anything right or wrong here. I think there's no. like you're saying game companies are incredibly metrics driven because we can matter yeah. more than anyone and we have more actions than anyone. And so game companies will build games that succeed within the rules of whatever ecosystem they're in. Yeah. And so the more different the ecosystem's rules are, the more different the games will be. And so I guess what I would say is like an ecosystem that we, we, you know, win or lose, depending on whether or not people are actually playing with their friends, is going to produce different games than an ecosystem where you win and lose based on what your LTV and CAC is. And, and there's nothing like, you know, there's no, nothing right or wrong about that. But like, I, I know that for me personally, like that's, that's what gets me excited. I've, I've struggled to find a game I can get my, my, uh, grandmother to get through a tutorial for <laughs> So that's that's part of the problem so the approach you're saying is working for a certain set of people that's that's the challenge yeah yeah and, and i i totally understand why why this sort of a, uh, approach is the correct approach with the platforms that you're you're entering because they are i mean they're social platforms from the start like real social platforms where you're having voice chats and and video chats so of course uh, you have to expect that the social interaction is the key with all the games off the bat and it can be something that you get into after you completed certain steps, it's like, no, it's like starting Mario Kart. It's like, you're not driving alone. You're playing with others from off the bat. So it, it makes sense. I would just made more of a point of like on mobile, there's a reason why they kind of ramp up to social. Uh, and yes, they, uh, the heavy performance marketing definitely leads to, uh, games being directed at certain audiences. And that's why it would be highly unlikely that you'd be playing a game with your grandmother since your personas, player personas probably fall too far away from each other. Again, I don't know your grandmother's player persona might be close, might be far away, but I would assume pretty far away. <laughs> yeah. And oh. unfortunately she might, she just might not be, she might not have the best LTV ever. And so yeah. maybe, maybe this is the rational thing to do is my point. And so what we're excited about is creating new ways for people to interact. And like you mentioned, there's, there's voice and there's video. And there's more rich communications that are happening on all these platforms, but we don't think it stops there. We think that people, uh, if they can actually go back and forth in ways that are meaningful, that's super interesting. And I think that we have a chance to put games in a place where they can actually do that and go and prove that out. And so that's what we're focused on, on proving is that like, yeah, you have, you're, you're going in, in video is sort of like the highest fidelity thing we have now when we're communicating, mm -hmm. but what next, like, what is there that we can make even video? more meaningful with the things that we can put in the space. 
And we're working on this problem. And I think a lot of, a lot of the platforms are excited about it because if you think about it, it's like one of the most interesting things they can do to enhance the, the spaces they're already creating is like, how do we go and, and give people yeah. more ways to actually interact that they can't interact with, uh, they can't use that way of interacting anywhere else. And so I remember when, you know, video chat was something that we, we, uh, couldn't take for granted. Like we, we would use these older video chat platforms and the latency would be so bad or we'd get disconnected so many times that we just didn't know if it was. And now it basically works, but you know, I, I think there'll be a potentially a future where, you know, when we, we use these communication platforms and they don't have anything interesting or fun to do, where we kind of see it the same way. It's like the stakes of, of how you keep people entertained and connected are just going to change and, and going to the place without sort of the, the places where you can actually engage with your fans, um, which is to speak more about what we're doing on TikTok. Um, you know, we've worked with the largest, one of the largest creators on TikTok's platform. They're, they're named Sway House. They make some very incredibly uh, viral videos on, on TikTok. And we worked with them to build a game uh, that they can have their followers and their fans play. And we think this is super interesting because creators like Sway House, they have a lot of ideas and a lot of ways they want to engage their, but marketing an app store game is, is a much riskier, longer term, yeah. more expensive sort of thing to go and do. And so we can go and work with them and build a game that they can promote in their own channel and that their fans can play without any downloads, totally frictionlessly and get that experience of interacting with people they really care about and potentially monetizing in a way that that could be a great revenue source for a creator like like the team at Sway House. And that's just the first the first one we'll be doing there. And we definitely have uh, other sort of plans to work with these types of creators soon. So it's not just about what we realize along the way on our mission is that it's not just about connecting, you know, friends and family. It's actually about connecting people in general. And that there are a lot of creators that have audiences that they want deeper ways of connecting with their fans, actually. And we're also in a very interesting position to go and uh, help them make that happen. So we have a creator platform that we've been working a lot on and we're, the, the launch of it is, is this uh, TikTok game that we, we put out. Nice. So, so it's the uh, TikTok game is on, uh, I, I, haven't used tic, I haven't used TikTok really, <laughs> uh, maybe once. So it, you have to go to Sway House and then you can get the, uh, uh, the game. You can play the game there, right? Or how do, how do, how do listeners access basically that game? That's what I'm trying to ask. Uh, yeah, well, uh, hopefully we'll have a link on, on our website where you can go in, and find it. Otherwise you can also find it on the official Sway House account on TikTok and you can go Perfect. check out a video that you can play from there. Awesome. So go check it out on Playco website. There will be a link in the description or if you use, uh, TikTok then Sway House. So let's, you know, there, there's. A lot of great challenges and a lot of amazing opportunities that that Playco is after. What are the, what are the, uh, the the short term goals for you guys? Like, where do you what are you looking for? So, probably you have enough funding, so you're probably looking for development talent. Am I correct? Yeah, we are looking for development talent, and and we've like really gone to great lengths to hire people who are experts in the mobile web, just because mm -hmm. um, there are fewer of them and. We think it's an awesome home for, for engineers who are interested in building stuff here. Cause I, I think there aren't a lot of other game companies that are as focused on it as we are. So there's that, but I will say like on the product side, I've just met a lot of really great people who are looking for something new to do. And if, if you're really passionate about trying to figure out like what, what this could look like, this is a really interesting time to join. And so 
you know, we need people to come and lead these teams, these small teams to go and figure out what the future is on each of these platforms. And it's like operating your own small startup within, with our company. And you can work with a lot of other great people, learn from each other, work with our shared infrastructure and try to build something big. And for us, like, because of the type of games we're building, like we really want to hit a scale where hopefully, um, over time we can make something that's really a cultural phenomenon. Right. And the reason for building on these platforms is that they can get to that level of scale. That would be difficult if we had to do performance marketing for one of these games. And, you know, we haven't, we haven't done that yet, but we've made a lot of progress actually on, on solving, getting to scale on, on several of these platforms now. So it's, it's a really exciting time to come in and, and figure it out and excited to hear from anybody from the game industry. That's, uh, whether you have your own studio and you want to find a way to work with us, or you're just kind of looking for a sort of something different and, uh, you're not scared of the, the changes and, and the speed at which these changes are happening, then they come join us and, and help us figure it out. What are the uh, locations you're looking for? We're actually, uh, we're remote. So we hire people from everywhere. And I think we have people in over 18 different countries right now with 134 wow. teams. So we've been living and breathing that, uh, over the last year. And we, we have, you know, some people in Tokyo, we have people in the Bay area, we have people everywhere at this point. And so we're starting to get to the size where we have people in enough different time zones that we can build game teams in different time zones all around the world. And it took a while to get there and it moved a lot of sleepless nights from, for people involved. But now I, I would say we're getting to the point where, you know, no matter where you join, you're going to, you're going to have a teammate that's, that's on at the same time as you. And so we're ready to, you know, absorb and grow game teams anywhere. Well, awesome. So any game teams looking to get into something new and something challenging, something where they can try a lot of things and fail and succeed or product people. Uh, there's a lot of product people usually listening to this podcast. So uh, product people, no matter where they are, can join play go lead their small teams and, and, uh, find different market opportunities, whether on TikTok, Google instant, Facebook, you name it, but there's plenty of opportunities and it's just only about finding the type of game that gets the highest engagement. Am I correct? You got it. <laughs> well, yeah. And if you want to reach out to me, you can, you can find me on the, uh, deconstructor of fun Slack channel, which I hope I'll be a member of after this podcast. So <laughs> definitely not. Definitely. It's, it's a relatively small group. So not everybody listening to this is on the Slack channel, but you know, but definitely I'll link the, uh, we'll link the, uh, Playco, uh, page of careers. So you can check it all there. And of course, through LinkedIn, you can. You can find Justin and, and other people from Playco and just interact with them and see if there's an opportunity that, that would that would fit with with you. So Justin, thank you so much for for educating me on this. I, I started this podcast thinking about instant games in a totally different way. And I had certain perception that was based on what has been done before with the HTMLs and the Facebook instant and the iMessage games. But now I understand uh, much better what you guys are doing and it's very different. Uh, it's very exciting, uh, very new, uh, full of opportunities and full of a lot of challenges, but that's, that's games in the <laughs> yeah. <city. laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we're excited. I mean, if, you, if that's the type of thing that gives you energy, we'd love to hear from you and happy that I had a chance to, to chat with you about it. So we'd love to come back and, you know, give an update when we have some more stuff to share soon. Well, definitely. <laughs> so thank you, Justin. And welcome back anytime. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, 
go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.